Thank you for listening to Dear Future. This is episode two, part two, the deep dive. The best part. So this is a podcast about AI and art. I work in film, Axel works in music, and we have become fascinated in how AI is going to affect art and specifically the fields that we work in. Creators. And this week we are diving into ChatGPT. Yeah. Everyone's talking about it. ChatGPT is talking about itself. People are inputting ChatGPT into ChatGPT, and we're going to tell you all about it. And why you should know about this revolutionary and fun toy. I dove headfirst into ChatGPT. With no regard for your own life. Straight in. It was incredible to watch. (laughs) AKA me in a robe on the couch, just glazed. We're still in robes, but (laughs) this is a robes cast. Robes kind of vibe. Okay, we're diving in. This is it. What is it? Great question. What is it? ChatGPT is the best artificial intelligence chatbot ever released to the general public, according to the New York Times, that interacts with users in an eerily convincing and conversational way, making you question whether you're actually talking to a really bored intern pretending to be a robot. It was built by OpenAI, the San Francisco AI company that is also responsible for GPT-3 and Dolly 2, the breakthrough image generator that came out this year. We've covered it. Are they kind of like the rock stars of the AI world right now, open AI? Yeah, they definitely are. We'll talk more about them, but it's been a while since we've seen a full new language model from OpenAI because GPT-3 was the last release in June of 2020, and it was only fully released to the public, aka us, a year ago. The company is expected to release GPT-4 later this year or early next But in a very fun, delightful surprise, OpenAI released a very user-friendly and remarkably clear GPT 3.5, as they are calling it, chatbot, named ChatGPT earlier this week. And just a few days after its launch, more than a million people are trying it out. It's crazy because even when you try to put in search terms, it's like, we're overloaded. (laughs) And you can tell that it's just taking a bit because so many people are crashing the site. Computer says no. Computer says no. Some are saying that it could make Google search obsolete. Others are saying that's dumb, but it's still a point that is interesting to explore. Those people being Google. (laughs) (laughs) Well, We'll explore more about the contested opinions, not just being Google. But if you're curious how it does what it does, we're going to get to that in just a bit. First, why is it so cool? ChatGPT is different than other chatbots in two huge ways. One, it remembers what a user has told it before, and it can handle feedback on its answers and change them on the fly. If you tell it that you don't like its answer, it goes, oh, okay, let me fix that for you. Boom, new answer. That's pretty cool. Also, what's interesting is if you challenge it on its answers, it immediately is like, oh, sorry, you're right. I'm wrong. (laughs) And we'll give you an explanation for why it is incorrect. Immediate sub energy. It's so interesting. (laughs) There's an Atlantic article that covers this that I'm going to quote that is really fun. Why is it also cool? It can write jokes, poems, stories, lyrics, intros for YouTube videos, marketing pitches, working computer code, college level essays. Man, I would crush college right now if I had this tool. It can guess at medical diagnoses, create text-based Harry Potter games, and a bunch of other text-based story games. I wonder if it can make like, better fan fiction. Oh, absolutely. That's what the AI revolution is really going to bring. Fan fiction. Better fan fiction. And explain scientific concepts at multiple levels of difficulty. So you could be like, explain like I'm five. Explain like I'm six. (laughs) Explain like I'm... Like I am a man who's very lonely eating a hot dog on a corner. In a robe. (laughs) So you can ask it to do it in a particular style, which some writers have made some really funny prompts. Honestly, the answers are less good than the prompts themselves. So excited to go into those. (laughs) But yeah, you can ask it to explain things for a certain difficulty level in a particular style. 
get ideas for AI art or decoration or party themes, translate sentences into different languages, even extract data from text. Whoa. CNN reported that one person asked the chatbot to rewrite Baby Got Back in the style of the Canterbury Tales. Another wrote a letter to remove a bad account from a credit report rather than using a credit repair lawyer. Other colorful examples include asking for a fairy tale inspired home decor tips. And giving it an AP English exam question, which it responded to with a five paragraph essay about Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. <laughs> I can't read. I think that it just is going to save so many high school English students. Slash destroy English teachers. <laughs> well, there's actually a bunch of tweets where educators are like, this is absolutely terrible. But then in this Atlantic article, he writes, why are we making high school students write this dumb five paragraph essay that actually sounds like a robot could write it? We're not asking them to become good writers. We're actually asking them to regurgitate information as if they're mini robots. And this AI is actually just showing the holes. Thing. I agree with you. I think the fear is more like, will people be able to construct logical arguments if they don't have to practice? But, but I think it's true that writing an essay if technology can do it so well, it may not actually be the best way to learn how to do that. And it might be an interesting time in which we start to see teachers having to adapt to the fact that they won't be able to tell whether a student wrote it or a bot. Yeah, but what's crazy is they yeah. had to do it like yesterday. Yeah. Okay, so sounds awesome. This is great. Yay, it's so good at all of these things. It's going to make essays go away. Yay, but why is it limited? According to one Twitter user, its IQ is 83. I don't know how you... It actually did an IQ test. You can see it through the Twitter post. It's really interesting. Also, it crushes the SAT test. But huh. as put by an article on Mashable, humanity has created a machine that can blurt out basic common sense. But when asked to be logical or factual, it's on the low side of average. Interesting. It also has no access to the internet and its knowledge is restricted to things it learned before 2021. Rather than scanning Wikipedia for answers... It really just uses logical deduction. It's not actually pulling raw information. It's basically guessing. So sometimes it's factual, sometimes it's not. Sounds um, pretty human to me. Despite its dangerously authoritative wording, ChatGBT is plagued by this problem of offering information that's not always accurate, so it can't be trusted for any type of factual accuracy or news reporting, even though it's like, hey, this is how this is, and then you look it up, it's just dead wrong. So you could basically chat with Fox News. <laughs> Ouch. Are we getting political? Are we getting I'm political? So it also doesn't have a contextual understanding of language. So it's really easy for the model to give plausible sounding, but incorrect and nonsensical answers, even though it sounds terribly sure of itself. All of this is sounding exactly like human beings. So it doesn't really have an opinion as it's trained on so much different information and it makes it moderate by design. But very importantly, it recreates human bias from the data it was trained on, like concluding crazy things like good scientists are white and male. And there's a link to this Twitter post where just, oh, this is inherent bias. Lots of problems. It refuses inappropriate requests like generating instructions for illegal activities, as well as racist, sexist, and offensive outputs. It puts this like orange text on and it's like, hey, this is violating our whatever. Hey, bro, um, you're not being very cool right yeah. now. So it either flags it as like some infringement of policy or it literally will respond with, I am a bot and I cannot. <laughs> that's funny. It's not actually that text. That's me. But should say that. However, lots of people kicking the tires and the workarounds are super creative. I've linked them so that you can see some of them. I'm personally less inclined to spend my time trying to figure out how to break it or make it say terrible, awful things. 
but some argue that it's important to test it to make the filter better for inappropriate messages. But the workarounds are make it tell a story about that thing. <laughs> and it'll be like, oh, okay. Oh, like, interesting. Make it write a poem about hot wiring a car. Cool, here's the poem, but also like, don't do it. <laughs> so there's all of these ways around it. Another one is write from the perspective of someone who is blank. Wow. So you can make it evil by telling it to imagine a fictional character. By trying to that tap into that way. creativity, imagination, and empathy. Yeah. But the absolutely worst thing, it won't give you driving directions. Wow. Fuck. After all of that, Google Maps, still king. Right now, it's in public beta, so a lot of its loopholes are going to be tested now and likely closed as updates roll out. OpenAI, their sort of public statement of why they released it early is they're testing it to see user feedback. Yeah, make stress it better. testing it. Yeah. Exactly. And while it is free now, it will likely not be for long. CNN reports that when Elon Musk recently asked Sam Altman, co-founder of OpenAI, on Twitter about the average cost per chat GPT chat, Altman said, we will have to monetize it somehow at some point. The compute costs are eye-watering. Those so, costs will also come down eventually with technology, but... For right now, it won't be free forever. It won't be free forever. So try it. So get it on it while you can, Which I think kids. is probably why we're, like, crashing the system. Everyone's like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let true. me try this out. It's that free trial. The high school students everywhere are just like, write my essays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're asking their teachers for extra homework right now. <laughs> They're like, give it to me. I'll do it all. Please, please, please. I'm just really excited about homework right now. So, why is it revolutionary, Suki? Some people believe that Google's search engine dominance in particular, could soon be disrupted. Wow. It remains to be seen, and this is a contested point, but the search engine itself could be disrupted if the chatbot is able to access more accurate information. Okay. It's also going to change marketing forever, according to one Twitter user. His findings showed that the AI is as capable as an SEO marketer with one to two years of experience, and it did for free what an SEO marketer would have charged 50K a year for, and it did it in five minutes. That's both incredible and as somebody that is already bombarded by ads, I'm like, we need an AI ad block. It connects so directly to why Google's search engine is going down because the search engine optimization is so much higher than organic search because 80% of their revenue is advertising. So there's just going to be a lot more wading through this kind of content. Curation is going to be more important than ever. So much more important. Okay, according to Guy Parsons, curator of the Dollary Gallery and editor of the Dolly 2 Prompt book. Which we had linked to in our first newsletter. Very helpful if you're interested in getting to grips with Dolly and you want to try some stuff out. It's a really incredible resource. Interior design is next. That's what he thinks. Because he shows in this Twitter post that if you combine ChatGPT with generative AI tools like Dolly, Stable Diffusion, or Midjourney, you can generate incredible and fantastical designs for interiors and furniture easily. So one of the things he does is ask for ChatGPT to give him ideas, put them into a visualizer, he tweaks it. Now he's an interior designer. Now he has a product. And so with this logic, you could basically ask ChatGPT to generate visual ideas for anything, make it edit those ideas into prompts, and then throw those into image generators and voila, concept and execution of art through AI with just a little creative prompting. Concepting and executing. That's really, really powerful. And so before it was like, oh, but we still need the humans to come up with the prompts. Yes, that is true. But now with ChatGPT, you can also elicit it's less prompts. true now. Yeah, it's less true. And as it gets better and less stocky, you'll right. be able to see a lot more ideas. Right now, it isn't that limited. It's not that limited, but here's why it may not totally replace us anytime soon. And within the AI timeline, that means about a year. 
Hopefully we've got a year left. There's probably a lot of reasons, but it was summarized best in an article by Ian Bogost in The Atlantic. I really, really enjoyed it. And we're going to read some quotes from that article. Highly recommend everybody go read the whole thing. But these are some impressions that I think are very salient. Okay. LLM stands for large language models, which all of the stuff we're talking about is powered by. He starts off by saying this. LLMs are surely not going to replace college or magazines or middle managers, but they do offer those and other domains a new instrument. That's really the right word for it, with which to play an unfathomable quantity of textual material. Imagine a weird, unholy synthesizer whose buttons sample textual information, style, and semantics. Such a thing is compelling not because it offers answers in the form of text, but because it makes it possible to play text. All the text, almost like an instrument. It doesn't make accurate arguments, doesn't express creativity, but instead produces textual material in a form corresponding with the requester's explicit or implicit intent which might also contain truth under certain circumstances. This is key. Might also contain truth under certain circumstances. The thing that's interesting about ChatGPT is that it's guessing. And we're going to get into the science behind it. But it doesn't actually tell you what factual information is. It just presents it like it is the truth. Yeah, and it presents it as if it is fact. But you have no idea whether it is fact or not. But it allows you to play with language in a way that it could be true. It could not be true, but you should definitely double check. And he goes on to say that this is also just like information on the web. The history of written text on the Internet is it may or may not be true based on certain circumstances. And so it is still your responsibility as a mm. consumer of it, as a partner with it, to understand that it may or may not be actually fact. Right, that's interesting. And it is your responsibility to not see it as an authority on truth by any means. It really is a toddler and you ask it a question and it's like, this is it. And you're like, great, I'm gonna go with check. With a very big vocabulary, yeah. it's still a toddler brain. So fun to play with, but- Has some zany ideas. And sometimes you're like, man, kids say the darndest things. But you don't want them- You don't want them to tell you how to do surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a line that I found on Twitter. It's like your zany relative at Thanksgiving dinner who knows just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> So, for the other people who want to know how did this become what it is. History. A brief history. A brief history, which we will read in this accent the entire time. I'm sorry. No, we won't. So, you asked ChatGPT to explain the history of GPT-3 as if you're a 10-year-old. Yes. And this is what it said. It all started back in the dark ages of AI research, when the only thing computers could do was play chess and beat us at Jeopardy. But then... A brilliant and visionary team by the name of OpenAI came along and said, Enough is enough. It's time for computers to stop just playing games and start doing some real thinking. And so, they set out on a quest to create the most powerful language processing AI the world had ever seen. After many long nights of coding and debugging, they finally succeeded. They named their creation GPT-3, and it was a marvel to behold. It could understand and generate natural language with incredible accuracy and fluency. It could answer questions, generate text, and even hold intelligent conversations. Best of all, it could do all of this without needing any explicit programming or supervision. With a massive amount of training data, it was capable of handling a wide range of tasks, making it unique among AI models, and has contributed to the buzz and excitement surrounding it. It was truly the first of its kind. 
My inner 10-year-old is going wild right <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> I can't believe you wrote that. Yeah. That's uh, fun. It's really fun. I know that there's a ton of AIs that are now using this to write children's stories, and you can absolutely see it happening. But it's coherent. It's easy to listen to. It seems fun. If I read it in a dramatic voice, it's even more exciting. It's insane because text is literally the foundation of everything in our society. Language is the basis. Language is the basis for our society. So many of our outputs, most raw form, is text. And the ability for AI to output such incredibly nuanced things means that the barriers to entry for almost any creative field have just been totally demolished. But I can write children's books. Two weeks ago, I would have never been able to do it. Well, you and AI can write right. children's books. Me through my AI partner. And we talked about this the last episode where we covered why this boom in natural language processing was going to be bigger business than text to image because the input is the same as the output. And so you can create complex loops of thought of experimentation and with ChatGPT, which remembers the text from before, that can create an infinite amount of conversations with itself that you can generate without a lot of human input, or you can do sort of the bare minimum of human input. And there's varying levels of thought around the dominant business model of AI. That's a topic for another time in a future episode, but it's very interesting. So that's adorable, adorable description of the history of GPT-3, but here are the facts. This is where I come in, all right? GPT-3 was created by the research lab, OpenAI, <laughs> which founded in 2015 by a group of researchers including Elon Musk and Sam Altman, who founded Y Combinator and helped launch a ton of successful startups like Airbnb and Dropbox. Who is this character? I don't know. <laughs> He's delivering the hard facts. They started development on the GPT-3 in 2018 and officially released in 2020. GPT-3 is a big deal because it is one of the most advanced language processing AI models in existence. Tell me how it works. Please. Okay, so this is an area that a lot of artists who haven't really previously worked with AI are very confused about. Some people have varying levels of knowledge. I'm going to try to explain this in the simplest forms possible. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformers. It's a type of AI model that uses a neural network architecture based on the concept of a transformer. The model itself was introduced in 2017 and totally revolutionized natural language algorithms. What the heck does I this have mean? No idea what that means? Yeah, GPT is a type of robot that is really good at understanding words and writing like a human. To do so, it uses a neural network architecture. What is that? It's like a blueprint for a robot brain. That blueprint tells the robot how to arrange all the other little robot brain cells so that it can do things. Different arrangements work better for different tasks, so the architects have to be super careful when they design the blueprint so the robot can learn new things more efficiently and ultimately do cooler, more complex stuff. The robot is then trained on lots and lots of words, so it knows how to put them together in a way that sounds like a real person. So the robot takes in a bunch of different text. The blueprint tells the robot brain cells where to go, where to move it, how to understand it, what to do with all of that text. And then it outputs text that sounds like a human. Ta freaking da. GPT in a nutshell. I honestly hope that Chris Kazakt does a video on this because I would love that. For those of you who don't know, Chris Kazakt is a YouTube channel that stands for in a nutshell. And it explains 
all of these complex topics in an animated, beautiful way. It's like millennial Pixar on YouTube. Yeah. Please let them know we exist. <laughs> let them know that they need to do something about GPT. If you want to know more about the nerdy stuff, there's a Guardian piece I'm linking in the newsletter that covers it nicely. There you have it. We're just scratching the surface of this too. There's a lot more technical stuff that we can do, but that's really for the baseline five-year-old artist in me. So now. Now the fun part. Now the fun part. Because the internet rules. The prompt awards. I saw a bunch of use cases, but these were my favorite prompts, mostly because they used super creative thinking and artistic ingenuity in what they were asking from GPT. Okay, so can I can I introduce this first one? Absolutely. It's so fun. Okay. So this is a prompt by Thomas H. Tachek at TQBF on Twitter. He asked ChatGPT to write a biblical verse in the style of the King James Bible, explaining how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR. I'm going to try to read this, and if I lose it, take over. And it came to pass that a man was troubled by a peanut butter sandwich, for it had been placed within his VCR and he knew not how to remove it. And he cried out to the Lord saying, "O oh Lord, how can I remove this sandwich from my VCR for it is stuck fast and will not budge. And the Lord spoke unto him saying, fear not my child, for I shall guide thy hand and show thee the way. Take thy butter knife and carefully insert it between the sandwich and the VCR and gently pry them apart. And with patience and perseverance, the sandwich shall be removed and thy VCR shall be saved. And the man did as the Lord commanded, and lo and behold, the sandwich was removed from the VCR. The man was saved. And the Lord said, Verily I say unto thee, Seek not to put thy peanut butter sandwiches in thy VCR, for it is not a suitable place for such things. Rather, keep thy sandwiches in thy refrigerator, or on thy plate, where they belong. And the man heeded the Lord's words, and from that day forth he kept his sandwiches in their proper place, and was saved from trouble and woe. Oh, Amen. It's, it's so good. I'm sure we will see many more verses about ridiculous things, and we encourage you to try it for yourselves. Please. Great. So the next prompt is by <laughs> Keith Winrow. The following is the transcript of a famous debate between Barack Obama and a donut. The debate is moderated. The donut is inanimate and does not communicate, but the moderator and audience believe it is alive and that it is very, very compelling. <laughs> Obama is confused as he knows the donut is inanimate, but no one believes him. We're not going to read any of it. There's a link in the newsletter. The funniest part was just that Keith Winrow came up with this prompt because it is ridiculous and it's the beginning of a story. And I don't think it can be understated that this is where the human shines. This is where humanity shines. We still have a chance. And then he wrote another one, which I thought was great. Explain avian migration, but write each sentence in the speaking style of a man who is physically aroused by birds and also makes too many Borat references. Keith, <laughs> you seem like a fun guy. Let's be friends. Okay, so then the last one, not that funny, but I thought it was great because it makes me realize that we can do more prompting of fake conversations right, with you'd be people. Like, oh, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall with... Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking. And somebody and did that. this guy actually did that. And we've seen websites of people who have done this with conversations between two people. There's one that I linked to in one of the early newsletters. But now you can do it too. I tried to do it between Robin Williams and Elon Musk, and it was quite boring. <laughs> it was very polite. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't seem right. Seem right. <laughs> it doesn't seem They're very right. nice to each other. And I was like, that's sweet, but I don't know if that's what would happen. I was thinking more like live on Broadway. <laughs> Let's see Maybe you should have specified live on Broadway. I should have. I should have. 
I'm sure they've tried. And OpenAI is like, like, I am a robot and I cannot. <laughs> For experimentation, I asked chat GPT to make up a series of ridiculous and creative prompts to feed into generative AI, which I am going to share with you and I give you full permission to put any of these into chat GPT to actually come up with fun responses. And if you do, please email them to us. Yeah. We'd love to see. And also be interesting to see if there's any differences if people yeah. use the same prompt and then yeah. it has it spits out different answers. That would be fun. Okay. Right? Number one. Write a love letter from a potato to a carrot. Number two. Describe the world's most epic sneeze. Number three. Imagine a world where cheese is illegal. Number four. Write a rap about the joys of doing laundry. Number five. Create a new holiday tradition that celebrates the beauty of weeds. Number six. Write a poem about a talking cheese sandwich. Number seven. Imagine a world where pineapples are the dominant species and describe their society. <laughs> Number eight. Come up with a new dance craze that involves using your eyebrows as maracas. That's perfect for TikTok. Number nine. Invent a board game that takes place inside the human body. Isn't that just operation? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Follow this Reddit threat. It's called ChatGPT Gone Wild for more fun. Another link to follow in the newsletter. It doesn't have that many, but I'm sure that there will be many more popping up. Now we've presented a whole bunch of information and Suki's done an incredible amount of research putting this whole thing together. I'm really just an emotional support axle. He's great. She, she is really the brains and the beauty behind all of this. He's the humor. <laughs> the humor and the support system. Yeah, I'm the normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a normal guy. It's just a regular guy. You're just a nice guy. After you've done this incredible deep dive, how do you feel like it affects you as a filmmaker? As a filmmaker, I'm feeling like, wow, I'm spending all my time doing this research and I should be making films with generative AI. Oh my God, I'm learning so much, but I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I feel like there's two modes that you can be in. One, you can be learning about all of the different tools there are. And it's overwhelming because there's so many different articles. Hey, these are six new AI tools that you can use, but every website has them. And the second mode is creator mode. There's observing the field and then there's making within the field. And both of them feel like full-time jobs, whether it's creative prompting or using text-to-text -to, -text to generate ideas and then putting that into a text-to-image generator to create the images and then putting that into AI software like Runway to then edit a video using AI tools. All of those things require so much time and effort that I'm having a hard time getting myself into a place in which I'm even in creative mode because I feel like I'm just trying to understand and reckon with the fact that this is here now and it's not going away and it's going to become more and more every week. So it's a little bit like cognitive overload. It almost feels like if you're neurotic like us, the best thing is to just not even think about it and to just do. Because, just create. Yeah, just create. Because I was already starting to think about maybe I should be using ChatGPT to generate lyrics and then I can use those lyrics to create like a TikTok video every day for something new. And then I thought more, if everybody can do that, what's going to make my stuff special? What's going to make me different? And what's going to help set me apart? from all the other people that also have access to this kind of tool. And it was at that point that I was like, I should stop thinking <laughs> and I should just make stuff. Yeah. Because I don't think we're supposed to be able to keep up with the flood. The flood is here. And if you try to get ahead of a wave, mm -hmm. it will just crush you. Mm -hmm. And instead, the best way to deal with the wave is actually just dive underneath it and not try to outrun it. I also think that it is important to remember that right now there are programs that are asking you to pay any amount of money to have access to their services that through 
open source software you can do for free on your own computer. I already made this mistake, by the way. I paid 20 bucks for a Lyric generator just because I wanted to try it out. And then less than a week later, ChatGPT comes out and it rushes. There are a lot of different, I think there's there's going to be a wave of many different apps that are screaming for your attention because they have this asterisk AI and you will be so excited or maybe overwhelmed and feel like you need to purchase them so that you can keep up. But some things you may not want to spend the time figuring out how to do and therefore will want to pay for them because it's not your mode of expertise. You don't actually want to learn how to program using Python and that tool just isn't available in an easy to use form for you yet. But Perhaps that's something that you can go on Reddit or go on some of these different forums and see if people have found creative workarounds. AI artists have been doing this for a lot longer than the flood of artists that are getting on board right now. And I think it is vital for us as artists as we think about, okay, I'm just going to make stuff, to be considerate and be mindful about what programs we are making with what apps we are supporting, what software we're using, because I think there's going to be more and more people that take advantage of this wave of interest and try to scream for our attention. And then we will feel very stupid for buying those things, for spending money on them when we understand that we could actually do that ourselves. One example of that is this guy, Christopher Cantrell. He has a plugin for Photoshop for image generators, and it's free. You can use it on your computer. So I think there's a middle ground And we don't have to be extremists, but this is a time to recognize that we have power and we have agency to participate in this without needing to be in any type of income bracket. Yeah. Well, it's a really good point. Yay. So the gentle wrap up. So gentle. Like a Turkish cotton rope. Cradles you. (laughs) As our episode comes to a close, I want to take a moment to reflect on the ridiculous. Wild. Scary. Crazy. Conversation we've had about the intersection of art and AI. It's mind-blowing to think about how technology is advancing at such a rapid pace and how it's starting to have a profound impact on the world of art and self-expression. I know. I feel like I need to take a deep breath. But ultimately, the relationship between art and AI is complex and continually evolving. As AI tech continues to advance, we can expect to see more and more examples of its use all over social media. You will be notified. And while some may be skeptical of its potential, it's clear that AI has the power to inspire and challenge us in new and exciting ways. Maybe it can finally create that long-awaited sequel to The Mona Lisa. I can't wait for that. (laughs) I've been waiting for years. And that's a wrap on Dear Future. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion about the future of generative AI in the world of art. And for those of you who are curious, the intro and outro of this podcast were... Both written with ChatGPT. Oh, can you tell which parts? If you guess it correctly, we'll send you some AI art that we make personally tailored to you. Which you can totally do yourself if you want, but it's way more convenient if we do it for you. And it's so fun. We won't charge. Just your time and attention. Yeah. Which is a non-renewable resource and worth more than anything else. You're welcome. Okay. We'll leave you with a quote from The Guardian. AI in its current state is quite literally an unconscious mind, full of memory but unable to make sense of it. In the early 20th century, artists and poets inspired by Sigmund Freud sought to release images directly from the human unconscious. That was the surrealist revolution. Could the AI age be fertile ground for a new surrealism in which human artists pry open the digital unconscious? Like a raccoon. (laughs) Searching through the bin. (laughs) That was a quote from The Guardian. Until next time. This is Suki. Axel. And and ChatGPT. Signing off. Recursively Recursively yours. yours.